So our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John in the 21st chapter, verses 1 to 14, and can be found on page 115 of the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. Let us continue to listen to God's word to us this day. After all these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Max filled out, my older son Max, filled out one of those sheets that they get in elementary school. My mother's name is, she is this many years old. And one of the things that he had to fill out was, my mom always says, three things for you to listen for. (laughs) And I thought, I'm winning. So anyway, here are three things for you to listen for. The first, why do scholars who are really smart people who know a lot about the Bible, why do they like to have conversations about the story that we just read? The second, why does this story make sense to me? And the third, how many times do I say the word breakfast? So three things to be listening for. Well, the passage we just read from John constitutes the third appearance story the third time Jesus appears to folks after the women find the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, scholars love to debate this text. See, if you read the two verses before this passage, you think you've come to the end of the book. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. These verses seem like a nice way to wrap up the gospel. Then you take a breath, 
And today's story begins. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. So scholars love to try and figure out who wrote the last chapter, when they wrote it, and why they wrote it. One of the things they debate is why the disciples go fishing at this particular moment. Is it because they need to earn money, and so they return to the thing they know how to do? Is it because they're doubting Jesus' promises and turning from his charge to continue the work he began? Is it to fulfill things that have been spoken about earlier? Well, we could get into the weeds on that, but for me, it seems that this story is one written by someone who understands grief. The summer before my junior year of high school, my parents and I were on vacation in Cape Cod when a phone call came saying that my great uncle Paul, who was like a second father to my mother and a grandfather to me, had died suddenly and unexpectedly. This was the first time that someone close, that close to me had died when I was old enough to really understand and process what was going on around me. I remember that we flew into a rush of activity, packing, cleaning the house we were staying in, finding enough maps in the car, this was before Google Maps, so we had to find maps in the car that would chart our route from Massachusetts all the way to Farmersville, Ohio, which is outside of Dayton. As we drove those many hours, there was a sense of anticipation and wanting to move faster to get there. When we arrived in Farmersville and went into the house, we sat. It felt like such an abrupt transition to me that after all the adrenaline of getting there, we were just sitting quietly. And as we sat, my great aunt Frances, again like a mother to my mom and a grandmother to me, started telling the story of all that had happened in those days. And we continued to sit and to take it all in. And then the cleaning, and the cooking, and the picking up of flowers, and the greeting people, and making up beds and plates of food for visitors began as the house and several surrounding houses full of family began preparing for the calling hours, the funeral, and the reception that would take place afterward. I remember being fascinated by this new rhythm that was being created, a frenzied activity followed by sitting and weeping followed by frenzied activity, followed by sitting and weeping, followed by normal routine activities and sitting and weeping, which turned into laughter, which inevitably turned back to tears and so on and so forth. I have since experienced this rhythm several times as I've gathered with my family, both mine and my husband's, to mourn the loss of a loved one. And I experience this rhythm tangentially through the families that I've spent time with in planning the funeral or memorial service for their loved one. So the story of the disciples going out fishing makes total sense to me. I imagine they needed to do something to keep themselves busy, something that felt normal, something that could help feed all those people who were gathered and participating in this rhythm of grief with them. So they got into their boats, set out, cast their nets into the water, and they kept coming up empty. Again and again, they threw their nets into the water, and again and again, as they pulled them in, nothing. Have you ever had that feeling of coming up empty 
Maybe you felt it when you sat in front of your computer screen trying to find the words and the energy to respond to yet another email. Or maybe you were sitting in a final exam and found yourself totally unable to recall any information about the question you were being asked. Or maybe you returned home at the end of a long day to yet another meal to cook, another load of laundry to do, another round of children to brave and dress and get to bed, and it all felt too overwhelming. Or maybe you received a diagnosis that left you wondering if God really was anywhere near you to begin with. I'm guessing that if I gave you a moment, it wouldn't take long for you to recall a time in which you felt you were coming up empty. But then something happens to the disciples. A man standing on the shore calls out to them, children, you have no fish, do you? Now here's where the snarky side of me kicks in. If I were on a boat fishing all night long and coming up empty and some guy calls to me from the shore, you have no fish, have you? You can bet my response would be no, and thanks for pointing out the obvious. Thanks for rubbing it in that I'm failing at this seemingly simple task that I've done a million times. What's that? You want me to throw my net on the other side? You've got some hunch that that will work? Okay, sure. Let's see if your plan works. But then the plan does work. And all of a sudden, they realize who this guy on the beach is. And not only do they pull up 153 large fish, they make their way to shore where Jesus has made breakfast for them. When I read this story, I can feel the frustration and physical hunger of the disciples on that boat. And I love that Jesus gets the humanness of that. And so he shows up with fish and bread to eat. He takes time to offer this simple gesture of making breakfast and in the process alleviates their physical hunger as well as their mental and spiritual needs. I love this story because I'm hungry, and I could really use some breakfast right about now, both the kind that makes my tummy stop rumbling and the kind that is just a person sitting with me, reminding me that I'm not alone and God is near. See, Jesus is one who challenges me and pushes me and leaves me confused, and I often feel myself coming up empty after trying to follow the instructions he gave us to live and messing up at it, coming up short time and again. But Jesus is also one to show up and offer me exactly what I need when I feel like I can't make it another step. In the words of Mary Oliver, why wonder about the loaves and the fishes? If you say the right words, the wine expands. If you say them with love and the ferocity of that love and the felt necessity of that love, the fish explode into many. Imagine him speaking. And don't worry about what is reality or what is plain or what is mysterious. If you were there, it was all of those things. If you can imagine it, it is all of those things. Eat. Drink. Be happy. Accept the miracle, except to each spoken word spoken with love.
Now, moments ago, at the 8.30 service, we baptized an entire family, two parents and three children who have experienced God's love and abundance in their lives, five individuals who are joined together by blood, being joined together with all of us in faith and with water. This is what breakfast with Jesus looks like. This is what Jesus' response to coming up empty can be. This good news that this family has found connection to God through Jesus Christ and this community. This good news in a weary week can be just what we need to understand God's love and God's grace. And just like that, our eyes can be opened and we can recognize Jesus in our midst, and we can be reminded of these words from the 23rd Psalm, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Friends, we worship a God who is filling our cups even when we feel empty. When we come to Jesus, we are invited to lay down our heavy burdens and pick up a bit of bread and a bit of rest, that we might be refueled for the road ahead, that we might be reminded we are never alone, even in our loneliest moments, that in the rhythm of our lives, that beats in a frenzied activity and tears and sitting and laughing and ordinary tasks and back again, Jesus is calling to us, come and have breakfast. Hallelujah.